This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. Listeners, and as always, you are most welcome this time to episode 337 of the Doctor Who podcast. On this episode, we will not be discussing predictions, <laughs> despite the prediction that James gave you at the end of last episode. This will not be a predictions episode, but but we do have three members of the camper van here to talk about other things. With me in the camper van today is Phil. Hi, Michelle. And Ian. Hi, everybody. I think James is planning to do his predictions for 2022 in about November, because then he might get them right. <laughs> Not, but he'd still get them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, along with a predictions episode, which will be coming up, hopefully, more or less imminently, um, it sounds to me like there will be some more interesting content to, to cover. Did I hear, Phil, that you get to go back to the BFI again? Yes. Um, as we all know, the season 22 uh, box set is due to be released in uh, March, in the UK at least. I think we're, you, know, you guys in the in the, in the the States have to wait just that little bit longer. Um, so, yeah, so I think on the 5th of March, uh, James and I will be at the BFI uh, to watch Revelation of the Daleks. So very, very much looking forward to it. It's also been a while since I've uh, since I've watched Revelation of the Daleks, so it'd be good to see it on the big screen with other Doctor Who fans as well. It's 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 going to be a a lovely afternoon out. And again, I am always jealous of you guys getting to go to the BFI. Also, James was saying that he has gone to another. Oh, I don't know what you call it. It's not an event. It's more of an attraction, perhaps. That what what is time fracture? Well, as I understand it, maybe you can help out a bit more on this one. In it's it's an interactive sort of Doctor Who show. Is it really? You sort of I'm not I don't fully understand what it's all about. It's something um, on those lines. I mean, if if you went to the the old thing they had where you'd walk into the TARDIS console and there'd be a little video and then you'd walk through and there were some angels and started off in London and then I think it moved to Cardiff and for a, quite a long time you could go on this little sort of interactive kind of props thing I think it's along those sorts of lines I know that there are multiple plot lines within it so somehow it branches as you go through the thing so that they can get you to presumably pony up to go through it multiple times and see it all because hey we're Doctor Who fans yeah <laughs> so I understand that Jodie Whittaker is in it in filmed inserts as you alluded to is David Tennant part of this as well don't know I know John Barrowman is not part of this no because he was a part of this and then he wasn't yeah yeah, uh, but I, I, I think I'm right in saying that I think David Bradley might be part of it as well. But maybe James can enlighten us on this when he gets to uh, talk about it. I, I think many cast members from the show over the years have been involved. But again, I don't know the details, but I get the feeling there's quite a lot of people, mostly a little video clips and things like that, yeah. that are all actually there. Well, back several years ago when I lived in the Las Vegas, Nevada area, um, we had at one of the big casinos there... Uh, Star Trek The Experience, uh, which must be similar to what 
is happening with Doctor Who over there. And again, yeah, you went into the Enterprise. It was the next generation style and you got caught up in a story. Uh, at the end of that one, as you were being evacuated from the ship, you ended up uh, in in one of those motion rides where you get in a little capsule and they have the, the video screen so that you feel like you're flying through the stars and the thing shifts and moves and shakes and rattles with the sound effects so that you feel like you're in a shuttle. Um, I don't know whether the Doctor Who experience goes into anything that elaborate or not, but uh, yeah, be interesting to hear what James makes of it. I must admit, I did enjoy the one um, when that that sort of uh, sort of attraction thing that the Doctor experienced in Cardiff. Um, I went just before it uh, before it sort of closed down. I went a few months beforehand. Actually, it was really good. It wasn't quite so intera- interactive as I understand Time Fracture is. Uh, but you, you you get actors that take you round and you go through different um, different sort of sets and there's Weeping Angels and Daleks and, and you do get to pilot the TARDIS at one point as well. Matt Smith's TARDIS as well. And, and that that was on a like a, a moving platform. So that sort of rocked and rolled about all over the place. It, it was um, very, very good. Yeah, but I liked it because it wasn't interactive. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see if James does interactive very well or not. <laughs> Take your bets now, everybody. The other thing that will be happening uh, on the weekend that this goes out, this episode goes out, I believe, uh, Gallifrey, the convention will be occurring in Los Angeles, which uh, all of us are alumni of at some point or other. But I think this year... Um, although we had high hopes, I don't think we're going to have any members of the Doctor Who podcast at Gallifrey. Yeah, it's been quite a while. It must be nearly four to five years, I think, since I last been to, to Galley now. Yeah, I don't know much it's changed. Uh, I imagine this year is going to be quite, um, I think, a bit, bit more of a low-key event for obvious reasons. But it's still going ahead. Um, hope, hopefully... We'll all get over there one day. We'll all meet up at Galley. That that would be that would be great. That'll be the day. That'll be the day. Yeah. So having mentioned a few things that we'll be talking about in future episodes, and maybe some things that we won't be talking about in future episodes, um, what are we going to talk about today? Ah, right now today. Um, well, first off, we will be doing um, a little section we have called Debut Who. Um, which is where certain members of the DWP um, sit down and discuss a Doctor Who story that they've never seen before. Um, so today we're going to be covering Black Orchid. Uh, but then later on we'll also be uh, discussing a uh, Big Finish story called 40, which celebrates the uh, 40th anniversary of the Fifth Doctor um, appearing on our screens. I can't believe it's 40 years ago this year. That makes me feel very old. <laughs> We've very much got a, a Davison theme running uh, at this time. And that, that's very close to my heart because Davison was the Doctor when I became a fan. Not my earliest memories. My earliest memories are of Tom. But the point, I mean, I almost to the day can say when I became a fan, and it was just before the Five Doctors came out, you know, everyone always has that soft spot for their first Doctor, and, and I consider Davison to be mine. Now, what does that mean you can almost say to the day when you became a fan? So um, I had an aunt who had bought me some of the Target books. I mean, I'd seen a few episodes of Doctor Who when I was growing up, you know, behind the sofa and all that kind of stuff as a kid, but, you know, just as a thing that was on TV. And an aunt who bought me some of the Target books. The first one I got was the Doctor and the Daleks by David Whittaker. 
And I loved it. I really, really loved it. And then started buying more and more and more of them. So actually my entry into fandom came via the Target books. And then I was on holiday with my parents. So it was over the summer. And I can date it because it would have been uh, 1983 because it was just before the Five Doctors came out. Um, well, just, just before Starter. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm a year out. But it was the Radio Times 20th anniversary special, which um, was this whole magazine dedicated to 20 years of Doctor Who. Uh, and I bought that and just read it and read it and read it over and over and over and over again. And then, yeah, The Five Doctors was the first episode I watched as a fan, and it kind of fell off the cliff from there. And I still actually have a copy of it, not my original copy. That that disappeared. But uh, my wife got me a copy off of eBay a few years ago, and it was incredibly atmospheric to read it again. Mm. And and for me, Peter Davison is one of my first two Doctors as well. I began very late in the Tom Baker run. Uh, in fact, We've talked about this. I think my first episode was Horns of Nymon. Um, so it wasn't all that much left of Tom Baker. And I was in the United States, of course, knew nothing about Doctor Who. So I was very surprised not too long after that when he fell off the tower and, <laughs> and we got Peter Davison. So Peter Davison is the first that I saw from the start. And I, I was always, I loved both those doctors. Those, those are my two classic doctors. But it is a treat to celebrate Peter Davison, the fifth doctor, 40 years and as far as debut Who goes, I, of course, did see all of Peter Davison's episodes back in the 80s, eventually, whenever they finally got over to the United States. But that makes you, Ian, our debutante. Just for a change. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon, sir. I'm Tanner, Lord Cranley's chauffeur. Lord Cranley? Yes, sir. We're expected? Oh, yes, sir. You are the doctor. Indeed. Uh, please, sir, if you don't mind, uh, the game's already started. His lordship won the toss and decided to bat first to give you time to get here. That train's always late. <laughs> That's very thoughtful of his lordship. Uh, yes, sir, but I do think we should hurry. His lordship is a first-class bat, but I'm not quite sure how strong his support is this year. I started watching as a fan as of the Five Doctors, and this was a little bit before that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I never saw it on first broadcast and just never got on my radar and from its reputation indeed from seeing it now, I mean, it's, it's a bit of an oddity, you know, the first pure historical since the Highlanders. So there's a hu huge mm -hmm. gap for that. I think it might also have been the last pure historical. Have we had a pure historical in the modern era? I'm not sure if we have. I don't think we had. They've all had a sci-fi mm. angle to it somehow. So I think it's the um, only yeah. uh, pure historical from the Highlanders to date, uh, which makes it stand mm. out quite a bit. And yeah, a little two-parter. And, you know, particularly as a kid wanting, you know, spaceships and robots, you know, a little bit of 1920s whimsy didn't really, you know, grab my attention. So yeah, just never got round to it. Mother, may I present the doctor? How do you do? How do you do? Doctor Who. Yeah, I'm sorry, Mother, but he'd like to remain incognito, and uh, I think we should respect that after what he's done today. Okay, so before we find out what, what you think about this after all these years, <laughs> Ian, I think first of all, Michelle, what's your take on Black Orchid? As you, we've both obviously seen it before, I've seen it many times. Um, what's your take on it? Well, it's interesting because thinking back nostalgically, I tend to remember all of his era very fondly. Uh, and so I was looking forward 
to, I th- I'm sure I saw Black Orchid, you know, within the last five years or so, but it had been a while. And I was a little underwhelmed this time through in ways that I didn't expect. Um, it is it is a nice piece of fluff. There is some lovely stuff in there. I love the locations. I love the whimsy. There is some interesting things they're doing with mistaken identities or potentially mistaken identities that they kind of tease all the way through, um, some of which are red herring, some of which aren't. But um, it it seems to be a little tired or, or fall a little flat. You know, the doctor is pretty frustrated throughout. Uh, and I, I felt like that almost seeped into the the feeling of the whole production. So it, a little bit of a mixed bag. I always love watching Peter Davison and there are things to enjoy about this, but it's not one of the not one of the home run episodes for Peter Davison. Um, but I didn't hate it either. It, it, it's just kind of there. F- feels like a Jodie Whittaker episode in that. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> That's damning with faint praise there. Is <laughs> so are you going to tell us yours, Phil, before we let Ian talk? <laughs> well, do you know what? I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Black Orchid. It comes before Earthshock. We know, all know what happens in Earthshock. Um, but prior to this one, you had The Visitation, which is another historical, but it does have the, the you know, the, the science fiction angle to it. And I've always loved The Visitation as well. When I watched this back in 1982, uh, whether I just got swept up in that, it was sort of like historical, followed by another historical, but again, there was no... Um, no sci-fi angle to it. That didn't bother my 11-year-old self at the time. Um, as, as Ian said a minute ago, it was sort of, really, it's all to do with monsters and spaceships and lasers and, and everything. And this had none of that, but I always liked it and I can't quite put my finger on the reason why. I think it's just it's just so different. It's like watching Doctor Who meets Downton Abbey. <laughs> I don't actually like Downton Abbey. I, I don't like those kind of period dramas at all um but this i just got sucked up into this story i don't i don't i can't quite put my finger on it. i've always enjoyed it and watching it prior to this recording i enjoyed it again i like all the performances um we'll find out what ian thinks before we start start talking about what how little some characters do actually get to do in, in this one but yeah i've i love it i actually i actually really do love black orchid but ian <laughs> What did you think? How? How? Um, I said that little laugh there. I, I, do I sense a, a bit of disappointment there? <laughs> Not disappointment. I mean, for all I haven't seen it, I, I know it by reputation and by repute, and I sort of had a rough idea of what of what goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it pretty much did what I was expecting it to do. I knew it was going to be a period piece. I knew it had sort of a little bit of that Agatha Christie vibe going on to it. Yeah, I mean, I think whimsy or a little bit of light fluff is actually quite a good way of describing it. The opening was quite harsh. I was quite discombobulated when it went straight into someone being strangled and dropped to the ground. Mm. And, you know, and then this sort of South American Indian appears with with the plate in the lip. And it was it was quite a hard, cold open. But then you sort of drop over to to the TARDIS crew and then Peter Davison gets the amazing ability to go and play a cricket game, which I think was his personal, you know, he finally gets to live up to mm-hmm. his, his costume, uh, which was yeah. interesting. Overall, yeah, it's, it's just fairly lightweight. Uh, and I know what you say about some people not getting to do very much. I thought that this exemplified the problems you get with the crowded TARDIS, which is mm-hmm. that they can't give everybody mm-hmm. something to do. So Janet Fielding gets to just do the Charleston and um, Matthew Waterhouse just gets to eat 
um, <laughs> while Sarah Sutton as Nissa gets to have all the the fun and doing obviously the two roles, but the rest of them don't don't really get to do very much. It's a slightly oddly paced story because the, the the first episode it almost felt like an indulgence actually because you you do see all the actors kind of leaning in a little bit to having a bit of fun, being at the party. Mm. Clearly, Janet Fielding really liked her Charleston and really wanted to show that off to people, and you know it didn't really do very much or, or go very far the second episode picks up a little bit but the first one is almost more like an, an atmosphere piece where you're just going to get dropped into this thing see a few people moving around talking and not not an enormous amount goes on but you know that's not necessarily a terrible thing i think two episodes is probably about as long as you could have stretched this out i think if it had been a four-parter there'd have had to have been a lot more meat and potatoes to what was going on one of the things that i did pick up was the TARDIS crew almost didn't need to have been there. Mm. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. the the brother in the room was going to break out and kill someone anyway. He had done already. He presumably would have found a way to the party anyway. He presumably would have, you know, uh, kidnapped his uh, ex-fiance and gone and done his sort of King Kong thing on the roof anyway. And, you know, if you actually stand back from it, other, I mean, obviously you had the little bit of shenanigans with the, the lookalikes, but it didn't really change the, the the arc of the story at all. And the doctor didn't solve anything. No, it just kind of happened around him. So. Yes, no, absolutely. And uh, well, do, do you know what? I've 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 always found that as been a kind of a trait of the Fifth Doctor. He didn't really mm-hmm. stuff just sort of happened around him. And this is another example of that. Really, things happened. He gets involved in it, and that's about the sum of his part. Really, as you say, he solves nothing in this. Very itself. like Jodie Whittaker. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Got a theme running here. <laughs> Michelle, where's this come from? I don't know, but no wonder I like Jodie Whittaker because she she reminds me. I had never made the connection before, but it is <laughs> there is something there. I showed you a body in a cupboard up there. You and the Indian. Indian? An Indian with a lip. I give up. The Fifth Doctor is so very innocent in many ways, and and uh, and he does often find himself kind of almost at the mercy of these evil forces that are surrounding him, and it's just heartbreaking sometimes to see his innocence, you know, confronted with this horrible stuff. And I, I think there's a certain element of that in 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 the Jodie Whittaker. She is so beautiful and so. You know, all she wants to do is go and enjoy the universe, and 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 there's such a potential there for joy, and then these mm. horrible things keep happening. Uh, and maybe there is some similarity there. As, as someone said a moment ago, it is, it is really Agatha Christie. I think if it had been a a four part story, it would have you probably would have had an entire episode of the Doctor getting lost in in secret passageways in the um in in the mansion. I think that you know it, it, there would have been an awful lot of padding. With this. Do you think it was deliberate that the episode after he loses his famous sonic screwdriver, he gets confronted by a locked door and can't open it? Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. See, are you saying they actually planned this out here? Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I, I still enjoy it. I enjoy it because it, it, it is different. And and you are right, Ian, that it's such a, a, a very sort of brutal, cold open. It's the first thing you see someone strangled by a mysterious figure. Um, and I think the, the makeup on um, George Cranley is very well done for its day, actually. And the him taking the dive off the roof is a very sort of well-realised stunt. And I 
I think I, if I recall correctly on some of the extras on the DVD, that the stunt guy misjudged um, his fall slightly. So he ended up sort of, I think he ended up sort of damaging his ankle or something. Yeah, it, he, could yeah, have been, could have been really bad. Um, yeah. You know, Ian, one of the more recent debut Who episodes that you did was about the Romans. And one of the things that struck me in there was this juxtaposition between a lot of lighthearted, whimsical fluff with some real darker themes, um, particularly in terms of, of the, the slaves and stuff in that in that episode. And that that's true here, too. It's, it's mostly whimsical. It's mostly this nice period Agatha Christie drama. But, you know, the murders are pretty horrific. The fall off the roof is very gruesome. And the whole idea that this brother was locked away, tied up, I do think Anne, when she discovers that they've been keeping her former fiance, you know, she, how could you, how could you? And there was real, there was real heat in that performance. Um, so it, it's interesting because it has that same sort of light and dark um, in a way that's just a little off kilter. And I don't mean that negatively for the, for the production, but it, you know, it, it kind of amps up the, I don't know, the anxiety or the creepiness. I think it's slightly less powerful here to me because they don't run with the theme. For most of the runtime, you don't know what's going on. I mean, you, you can probably infer what's going on because it's hitting a few, you know, cliches. But just before the end, Lady Cranley suddenly essentially turns to camera and explains the entire story to us mm-hmm. in, in one hit. And then he takes the dive off the roof. And I thought that undersold the story a little bit and that's one of the reasons why I I, I find it a bit plot light is because they they didn't show us the story I mean yes there was bits of it there and you can probably piece it together as you go along but you just just suddenly get this exposition dump from these two characters who just decide to explain everything to each other right in front of the camera and then it's the end of the story and I think that's maybe where it suffered a little bit from being a Mm -hmm, mm two-parter that they didn't get to sort of tease out the information it was just an info dump you never really get a sleuth figure who puts together all the clues Mm. to 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 figure out the story and it ends very abruptly um if they could have maybe shaved a little off the first episode to give time for the well yeah what you were just describing for the story to be kind of teased out a little bit more methodically or something but not a bad story. You know, it's it's not one that I'll ever mind going back and, and revisiting. And I have to defend Adric because you know I'm one of the, <laughs> one of the <laughs> Adric fans out there. Everybody says exactly what you guys said about, well, all he does is eat. And I noticed that uh, when the fire is started and Cranley grabs Nissa and runs upstairs with her, the doctor's the first up the stairs, but right on his heels is Adric with no hesitation at all, uh, running up there to you know, into danger to, to help save the girls. So Adric does not just sit around and eat. And he, he he's ready to go up to the roof with the doctor later on and the doctor stops him. So, uh, yeah. I, I think if you try to run off the buffet that he managed to eat, actually, we <laughs> just try to work off the calories. <laughs> well, he was fortified to go save the girls. Well, mentioning, of course, that we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of Peter Davison's Doctor, Big Finish celebrated the anniversary with a release, a, a two-part release. The first part that, we'll, that we listen to is The Secrets of Telos. But before we get to Telos in the contemporary era, 
You need to know that this story follows directly on from Tomb of the Cybermen, so we're going to take a brief detour into the Second Doctor's era, and Drew and Brent are going to fill us in on memories of Tomb of the Cybermen. You'll see it's just over this ridge. The dynamite. It is exposed. These ancient doors. Come with me, and our expedition will be complete. Brent, look! Proof! Proof of the Tomb of the Cybermen! Hooray! That's what we're here to talk about today. It is, absolutely. But why are we here to talk about Tomb of the Cybermen? Because we like it. Yes, because James has told us to. That's really <laughs> the most important part. James, having run out of Dalek stories to torture me with, has decided to see how I hold up against Cybermen stories. Well, the joke's on you, James, because I like this one. This is the Cybermen's third appearance. Yep. How does this hold up as a Cybermen story? I think it holds up pretty well. It has a few problems, of course. Just like uh, the previous one, um, the moon base, we had a lot of uh, stereotypes of different people from different countries and and the stereotypical things they would say. Um, and then they took it a, probably a step further this time with Toberman. Toberman. Toberman's a problem, but you know what's more of a problem? Having just watched Evil of the Daleks, Evil of the Daleks was the story before this. So that means there's two stories in a row with large black men uh, who say nothing and just grunt, essentially. Um, that's right. Yeah. That's definitely a, a, an issue. Um, if it had been spread over a couple of years, I said it still would have been an issue, but two in a row? My goodness. <laughs> oh, Doctor Who, for shame. Uh, but I quite like Toberman in this in this story. Uh, yeah. and, and I think Toberman has, uh, what is the name of the character from, from Evil of the Daleks? I've completely forgotten. Kimmel? Um, basically the exact same story arc which is we're, we're enemies no we're gonna work together something bad's yeah. happened to you now something worse has happened to you uh they're both hopelessly devoted to a female character within the story uh and it usually leads to their downfall but here's the thing that i love about this episode i came into it remembering the toberman parts and remember thinking uh, you know oh boy too much cyber but i also know that's a classic and everyone really holds it up high and i was thinking you know it's only four episodes how painful is this going to be? And it wasn't painful at all. I watched it over three nights. Um, this is exactly what I like out of a Cyberman story, which is body horror. It is about the transformation of the human body over time. Um, and the idea that we are now in the Cyberman's future, looking back into their past. These are the last remaining Cybermen. And um, you get cyber controllers, and we've got horrible screams and still being able to see that they're kind of partially human and with Toberman we get actually a, a mid-transformation parts and the idea of like dissecting members of the group this episode has such a body count yeah Brent. it's amazing <laughs> and they're all fairly visceral like you can hear crunching sounds when they're uh -huh. getting killed everyone gets sh like everyone who gets shot gets shot at very close range uh, and the gun that fires has got like the steam and stuff you get to see uh -huh. them tr like electrocuted and twitching I imagine for an audience that was only used to 1960s early 70s television like anyone who grew up in that era this was a scary episode there's mm -hmm. um, really fantastic and I hate to use the term but I'm going to do it anyway iconic Doctor Who imagery uh, and there's iconic lines in this one when I say run run you know like yeah. this is this is a solid episode. Also, uh, Jamie and the Doctor, every time, and I think I said this in our episode fairly recently, 
<laughs> anytime Jamie and Troughton's doctor are on the screen together, it really shows you how a doctor and companion relationship can be. They are marvelous together, and the actual love between these two individuals, these two human beings, comes through. You know, like, I, I, I know that Frazier and, and Troughton really cared for each other. And, it, and, you know, and even Victoria, who ultimately, I, I hate to say, is useless as a companion, <laughs> yeah. but I don't think they had a really good idea of what they wanted to do with her as a character. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, Fraser and, and Troughton, they're great together. And like you said, it comes through. Some of the funniest scenes are them, and I'm, I'm pretty sure some of it is ad-libbed. I know the uh, the time where the doctor accidentally grabs Jamie's hand instead of Victoria, that that was, that was something that they made up before they went on, on uh, camera. Uh, that wasn't in the script. Uh, another part was when the doctor says, you know, I'm about to do something very dangerous. So if you want to leave, you better do it now. And Jamie starts to walk away. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Not you, Jamie. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the supporting cast is actually quite good. Um, I was looking over the names of, of the various characters. And with the exception of, of Klieg and Captain, I don't remember any of them. Um, and, and it's fine, too, because they, they don't stick around for very long. Like I said, uh, mm-hmm. high body count. Uh, Jamie the Doctor, fabulous. Um, the acting for Doctor Who is really good in this one, but the directing, um, I, I gotta say, and this is this is me not watching a lot of uh, classic Who recently, I think episode one of Tomb of the Cybermen might be the best directed episode of the classic series that I, I can remember. There's some angles and shots that are creative. Uh, there's some pans that are really good. I feel like a lot of early Doctor Who, especially the black and whites, very static um, because it's just the very nature of how the the show was made. Uh, you can you can tell it was season five, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a season, season five. five. Mm-hmm. So much has changed in how television is made for a show uh, like Doctor Who compared to the the first couple of seasons. Um, you know, there's so many more cuts. Uh, there's so much more action. It's really well done. I mean, I think it's a fairly tight story. Normally in this scenario, we'd be complaining that we could have probably cut one or two episodes <laughs> out. I think it's fine. I think yeah, the, yeah. the discovery of the Cybermen, the threat of the Cybermen, the turn of the humans within the group, and then the the closure I, works. All of it works. Well, talking about the direction, it's Morris Barry. And mm-hmm. when this came out on VHS, he had... Um, the introduction. He did the introduction for it. Oh, really? Yeah, and um, I'm sure it's on YouTube if you want to track it down. Um, but direction is not something that I, is really on my radar unless something really awesome happens. And you say, oh, that looked great, you know. So, uh, And that happened this time, especially in episode one, like you said, like uh, the shots from behind when they're mm-hmm. coming into a room, like when they went into the TARDIS and you're walking in with them. Like, your your view is sort of like uh, Victoria's view going into the TARDIS for the first time. And also, um, when they go into the control room for mm-hmm. the first time, you're, you're coming in from behind. Like, you're seeing it, too. Um, and uh, especially the, uh, the Cybermen Awakening scene at the end of Episode 2 was awesome, too. Yeah, yeah really good. Uh, you know, a, a lot of really good use of... Um, reversing the film too to get you that yeah. kind of creepy movement and they and they do that a number of times throughout the story 
Yeah. Just speaking of that shot with Victoria going into the TARDIS, what I thought was kind of, it kind of threw me, was we just jump right into the episode. It's not like the TARDIS appears and they step out of it. Where are we now, Doctor? Like, we we go straight from evil of the Daleks straight in. Victoria, here we go. Let's get you out of this dress. I mean, not in a bad way, of course, but, you know, it's <laughs> it's a really good episode. Uh, I was very pleasantly surprised overall by, by everything I saw. Very good story. Uh, to me, the acting was a bit hit or miss with whoever, you know, like the you had the brash American who was... Um, not that great. <laughs> what? You don't like his American accent? Listen here, if you're going to get to this rocket ship, we better do it now. It's going to take off in nine minutes. Listen here, gosh darn it. All right, Vic. Doctor. Vic. Yeah, Vic. Come on, Vic. Uh, the other thing that stood out for me was uh, uh, Captain is actually really the main villain in this story. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you think it's Kleeg, but Kleeg is kind of stupid. He, he thinks he's genius. But she has him wrapped around her finger, so she's really the brains behind the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, brains um, in high intelligence and ego is a really good uh, pairing for, for villains. And you, you're going to get through one of these stories where it's like, ah, but we've been working with the Cybermen. Because I know once they see how smart we are, of course they'll want to work with, oh, God, you're <laughs> breaking my arm. You know, yeah. That kind of a thing. <laughs> we will transform you. What is that? What is the line from the second episode? You are ours now. You will be like us. Or something yeah. along, you know. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, I should know it. It's again iconic. Um, and yeah, it's it's very rewatchable, if that's mm-hmm. a word. And uh, and I'm hoping one day it'll be on Blu-ray. That's part of season five. Um, hopefully we can get everything animated and put out. And I know uh, it's been said many times that you know, oh, they're they're too long. These seasons in the '60s are too long. They've got forty some episodes. Well, you know, it's easily could be split into two volumes. Volume one, volume two, have a different behind the sofa cast on each one, and you know they could easily do that. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, I I'm gonna buy every Blu-ray that comes out now. It's so it's so much easier, uh, and it takes up so much less shelf space. You talked about rewatchability. It's been a decade since I saw it the first time. It probably will not be a decade before I watch it again. Right, agreed. All right, I guess we leave the Tomb of the Cybermen now. Yeah, uh, if you'll step this way, uh, I'm just going to close these doors right here. Well, that was great to hear their opinions. I do have to amen- mention that in terms of the Doctor Who that I had never seen on screen, and there are only a handful now, Tomb of the Cybermen was one of those. And as soon as I sat down to listen to Secrets of Telos, realizing how closely it followed on from Tomb, I felt that I needed to go back. So I did. We're not going to feature it, but I did uh, go back and listen to Tomb of the Cybermen this week. So it's it's great to have ticked that one off my list uh, as we go into Secrets of Telos. I think Tomb of the Cybermen is a worse one to have missed than Brain of Morbius, quite frankly. <laughs> well, I will not go in depth except to say that um, I actually think it's overrated. I did not did not get as much out of it as I anticipated. Uh, but I do think it was a beautifully strong performance from Patrick Troughton, who who uh, clearly was sort of at his at his height, hitting his stride with the Doctor. But um, it's interesting to see then how they move on from there with the fifth Doctor story, Secrets of Telos. What is that noise? Morton said she had repairs to do. Yeah, I hope the repairs on a rocket ship would be a bit more delicate. Sounds like my uncle taking a spanner to his ute. 
I'm with you, Michelle. I'm not a massive fan of Tomb of the Cybermen. Um, I do think it's it's overrated. However, where this story picks up, it's literally hours after Tomb of the Cybermen concludes. And I think really, if you don't know Tomb, I don't know how much, how much it would affect the story for, because it's talking about characters that you don't necessarily get to hear in this particular story, but you probably would have to be aware of for it to make some kind of sense. Um, so, yeah, I think from that perspective, I think it's probably a bit too tied in to, to Tomb, really, for, for the casual listener or the casual Doctor Who fan. I, I almost felt the opposite. I, I, I thought that the links to Tomb were almost an affectation. Um, you, you've got the character names and they make reference to it, but there's no real meaningful link between the two. You, you, you could have put any rocket ship and any group of space people in there drop them onto a planet with Cybermen and the story would have played out much the same. I didn't f personally feel that it massively connected. I mean, yes, if you're a fan, you get the callbacks, but I didn't feel that mm. it was really integral to the story. It felt a little bit grafted on to me. Well, I just thought because you had like Professor Parry um, and Captain Hopper, which were the, the two character carryovers uh, that you get to, to hear. Um, and they were sort of directly referencing events from Tomb of the Soul. And that, that's where I felt it was linking just that, that bit too uh, too closely, really. But obviously we do get a new character in this, which is Morton, played by Tamsin Althwaite, um, which I think worked better. Um, I think that was just meant to be an unseen character from Tomb of the Cybermen, that, that she just remained on the ship whilst they went and had their little adventure on um, on Telos. Um, but, you know, as, as a, a fan, it, okay, it's good to hear... Captain Hopper again. Um, obviously, not, it's not the same <laughs> the same actor. Obviously, it's not the same actor playing Professor Parry, but that's now played by Christopher Timothy. Um, so you get a little reunion there for Peter Davison and Christopher Timothy um, as well from their sort of all creatures great and small days. Um, but uh, and I thought the pair of then did work very well because they're actually very good friends in real life as well. So I think that that does actually sort of help the help the performance, um, which. I think must be worth mentioning. This was actually filmed, or sorry, filmed, recorded, sorry, uh, during lockdown. So they never actually met any, any of the cast to record this story. And it's also nice to hear the the old Cybermen voices again, now voiced by Nicholas Briggs. We don't have, obviously, Peter Hawkins. As I say, having that particular sound effect for the Cybermen being used elsewhere in other Big Finish productions, it's not strictly limited to just that particular era of... Uh, Cybermen, is it? I really, really struggled. And I know that it's accurate to Tomb, and that's how they were. And to be honest, I struggled yeah. to understand the Cybermen in Tomb. I thought on an audio yeah. play, I really had a hard time following the dialogue of the Cybermen, especially when they were conversing with themselves. And I found myself repeatedly trying to infer what they were saying from what was happening around them, because I, I really struggled to follow the audio. Uh, the professor character, the the antagonist, mm. her voice kept, kept going very, very quiet, and I I was struggling to follow her dialogue, and I don't know. I mean, it seems it's very strange to me because usually production qualities of Big Finish are absolutely tip top, and I I repeatedly found myself struggling to follow the story on this, which I'm not used to with them. It's interesting that I didn't experience any of those troubles. Now I have to admit, when I listen to things to review on the podcast, I listen to them 
in a quiet room. And in this case, I had headphones on and I'm taking notes at the same time. So you couldn't be more focused. But um, if I had been listening to them while doing other activities, maybe it would have been, been harder the most. Although I agree with you, Ian, that the Cyberman voices are sometimes hard to understand, um, not from an audio level, but from a clarity point of view. The main story, the main plot line, the, the, the plot line about the Cybermen and the characters that carry on from Tomb of the Cybermen was, was okay. It, it seemed to me like a relatively standard Doctor Who story, relatively standard Big Finish story. I wasn't that engaged with any of the characters um, other than our TARDIS crew, but uh, one of the things I did notice from Tomb of the Cybermen is that none of the characters were, were likable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, 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 in the whole cast of, of people in Tomb of the Cybermen who are in there exploring the tomb, other than the Doctor and Jamie, I, I don't find any of the other characters particularly engaging or sympathetic. I'm not even that big a fan of Victoria. So to have two of them carry on into this story, particularly Captain Hopper, who's just obnoxious, um, <laughs> I was like, why? These, these these are not characters I would have gone back to. And then Professor Vansom, I think, is who, who you were trying to come up with, the antagonist, uh, who is apparently another academic who wanted to explore hmm. Telos and was in competition with, with uh, Professor Perry. Um, but at any rate, yeah, that, that, I'm not that invested in any of them. Um, so it was an okay, okay Cyberman story, but wasn't that exciting to me. I lost interest once they got off the the rocket ship mm-hmm. um, after the first couple of episodes and when they landed on this this other mm. uh, planet that no one was aware existed and there's another basically two with the Cybermen <laughs> on there and then you had another professor played by Barbara Flynn a tech tyone herself I know. actually incredibly distracting thinking Hang on a minute. <laughs> well, do you know what? I thought for one moment, because when I realised it was Barbara Flair, I thought, sure, they're not going to tie this in somehow to Tech Taylor. But for, thankfully, they didn't go down that road. Um, but once it got in, I thought, oh, but this is just now a retread of, a literal retread of Tomb of the Cybermen. You've got another scientist who wants to use cyber technology for their own ends. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, okay, Professor Parry wasn't doing that. He was there purely from a, um, in Tomb, he was there for a purely archaeological uh uh, perspective. It was the other character, Cleeg in particular, um, who wanted to use the Cybermen for his own ends. But I thought we're just retreading that really, and I, I, I kind of sort of lost interest. And, and yeah, it didn't really sort of hit home for me. I, I enjoyed the first half of the story, the more of the sort of like the the, the sort of traditional base under siege mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, I know, okay, the second half was also based under siege to a certain degree, but I didn't find it as engaging, unfortunately. No, I would agree with that. And I think coming back to the the purpose of this story, which is a celebration of the Peter Davison era, I found it a bit odd yeah. to do such a hard callback to what is one of the classics of the Troughton era. And that almost <laughs> seems to be moving the spotlight mm. in the wrong direction. I mean, it was it was a competent story. It was an okay story. I think as a sort of celebratory story or, or something like that, I don't think it had quite the heft it needed for that. But uh, I've, I've yet to listen to the second part, so possibly in the second part things this mm, came out a bit, bit, bit stronger. I think it's important to mention that the, and I don't even know if it's the subplot or let's say the framing story for this, is much more engaging and and emotionally powerful than the actual story itself involving Cybermen. But... Um, you can say without giving too much away, and, and 
they cover this in the very first few minutes of the story, that, that the fifth doctor has been pulled from his timeline right after four to doomsday. And so it really is, he, he very early in the fifth doctor's timeline and plunked into this much later um, experience. And so the big dilemma, particularly for Tegan and Nyssa, is that they know that the doctor shouldn't know what happened to Adric. Uh, this doctor hasn't had that experience, and yet here they are, of course, confronting Cybermen. How, how do you avoid, mm. you know, and of course the doctor's very first questions are, wait a minute, where's Adric? Allow me to explain. You both look different. No, we don't. To me, you do. And Adric isn't here. No. But he was before, from my perspective. The logical inference is that this is a different time. Okay. Well, it's beginning to make sense. Can't believe I'm saying that. Is this a right? Is this my fault for coming back? Coming back? I don't know anything about that. No, I, I think I've been displaced along my own personal timeline into my future, I guess, judging by your confusion. So you've left us and come back, Tegan? Yes. No, don't tell him. If he is from the past, he probably shouldn't know about his own future. Shouldn't he? That would have been good to know a few seconds ago. That tension, which is there throughout the story and kind of bubbles up to the surface at, at, at various points of time, is really intriguing and something that uh, presumably will carry on into the, the second story that we haven't listened to. And that's what keeps me going in this particular uh, endeavor, uh, this celebration, this 40. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, I think it's quite a, a good plot device to drop in stories in between the televised stories. So I think for for Nyssa and Tegan, this is just after Arc of Infinity. I don't think we've ever seen that, have we, where a doctor gets sent forward into their own timeline? Well, I, I suppose any, no. any, arguably any of the multi-doctor stories do that. They do that across incarnations, but I don't think we've seen one where... The oh, I see same... what you mean. The same Doctor. Uh, yeah, Matt, Matt Smith did it very yeah. briefly, didn't he? In his was it his first season, when he saw himself, and he saw a call forward to, to himself in the shirt sleeves Doctor, remember? He, he was crossing his own timeline. He hadn't actually been inserted into hmm. yes, his own the, the, There was an, an, an outside influence pulling yeah. him forwards, and I'm assuming we'll, we'll now go backwards as well at some point. So I don't know if it, this is... Um, at the moment, we don't know that this doctor we, we're listening to now, as you say, is is post four to doomsday. Whether that is going to be that same doctor, or we're going to get an older doctor, or an older fifth doctor being pulled backwards hmm. again to an earlier time, so he should know events that that he can't know. <laughs> you've almost got a Russian doll thing going on here. That you've got the four yeah. to doomsday doctor with the Ark of Infinity companions getting dropped into the Tomb of the Cybermen story. And, you know, how many layers <laughs> deep are we going to put this? So no, I'm looking forward more to see where, where, the, where this is going to go. But uh, but I think for a, an opening story, yeah, okay, I think people, a lot of people do associate the Fifth Doctor with Cybermen um, purely because of Earthshock. So I think that it, it was a no-brainer to do that. But whether this was the right story to, to kick off this little celebration of, of the Fifth Doctor um, or not, well, that, 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 that remains to be seen what the, what the remaining stories are going to be like across this uh, this little box set. Which I believe the next part, uh, James and I will be reviewing in an upcoming episode. So uh, stay tuned and we'll see where all this goes. 
Is that a prediction, Ian? <laughs> no, no, we can't do any predictions yet. It's too early. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, hopefully, dear listeners, our next episode will be a prediction episode. I will not be on that episode. Uh, I, w- I had to chuckle. The very last line in Tomb of the Cybermen is the second doctor saying, I never like to make predictions. Come along. Yay, second doctor, that's me. So I, if, if you hear my voice at the start of the next episode, then you'll know that we've missed the predictions episode again. But the hope is that the next time you hear the Doctor Who podcast camper van, dear listeners, they will be predicting things. It's been so good chatting with both of you, Ian and Phil. Yes, indeed, it's been very, very enjoyable, and um, I'm sort of I'm looking I'm looking forward to the uh, predictions myself, actually. So, uh, yeah, that, that's good. That's good. Hopefully, that'll be a, a, a good um, a good discussion that one because that's always fun uh, to do the predictions. I, I predict that'll be quite jolly. <laughs> yes, sorry, someone had to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then, um, I think that just about wraps up this uh, this episode of the DWP. So uh, thanks everybody for uh, for listening. Um, of course, if you'd like to get in touch with us um, at the DWP, of course you can email us at feedback at the doctorpodcast.com. Uh, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter at the DR Who Podcast, and of course you can find us on our Facebook page as well. So uh, please uh, send us your thoughts, comments, feedback. Um, whatever you would like to to send us. We do uh, enjoy reading it and discuss it amongst ourselves. So, I think until next time, um, it's, well, really, it's bye for now, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Take care.